Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M. This is volume 13, issue number 45, that corresponds with the week of October 23, 2023. This week, we're going to talk about nature deprivation disorder. Part two, we're going to look at etiologies of autism and then the recipe. Song of the week is Precious Things by Tori Amos. It's a really good one. I hope you get a listen. All right, so what is nature deprivation disorder? So as we get closer to the end of the year and the cold starts to strike us hard in the face, we have a tendency to hunker down indoors and avoid the outside. Video games and screens are omnipresent in many of our children's lives, unfortunately. They pervade their thoughts. They significantly limit their self-driven need and desire to explore, imagine, and be present with nature, silence, and life as it exists around them. Nature and natural actions are some of the best teachers of rational action and normalcy in any ecosystem. Nature deprivation disorder in and of itself is thought to be a serious problem for humans. It was a phrase coined by Richard Louvre, L-O-U-V, in his 2005 book called Last Child in the Wood. He thought that human beings, especially children, were spending less time outdoors, resulting in a wide range of behavioral problems. What is the reality of this perceived condition? If you believe the contention put forth by Mr. Louvre, humans are less exposed to the natural world and are also exposed to constant negative media influences that let them feel unsafe about the outside world, causing them to shun imaginative and exploratory outside activity in nature. Both of these statements appear to be true to me. When I think back to my childhood, there's a huge difference in the outdoor unsupervised play compared to what I see today. Most children now play in playdates, school environments, and organized sporting events if they play at all. Parent-teacher-directed activities most likely drive the child's thinking instead of self-driven, self-derived, imaginative play and thought unless the teacher is leading a self-directed event. The consequences of unimaginative play can be that a child loses the imaginative side of their learning that stimulates exploratory investigation as they age. Unimaginative learning falls in line with today's rote memorization and teach to the test in the primary, secondary, and some professional schools producing a generation of non-thinkers. When a person learns that the answer exists, and they just need to follow a previously produced answer, there is no room for growth. The master should only be the master until the student surpasses. Medicine is the classic arena where answers perceived to be true yesterday are proven wrong or different tomorrow. For the physicians of the future to have this mentality is not in line with humanity's best interests. If we believe that being out in the woods with nature, friends, and the unknown is good for us, then where is the proof? Unfortunately, there is no definitive proof, but there are studies looking at all the variables and the data points to this being a true issue. For me, though, it's quite simple. Do I really need a study to tell me that moving and observing the outdoors is better than sitting indoors on a computer or TV? The passive existence is not good for us, so therefore, I think not. Children can learn an enormous amount of information from Mother Nature just through observation. Nature's scientific and sociological education can persist throughout their lives. 
I think of a book that I read, Kill Decision, by Daniel Suarez, where the book's drone technology applications mirrored the actions of ants and how they swarm around the food and prey based on the release of pheromones. We have so much to learn from the natural world, and children are great at doing just that as they do not have a hard drive of preconceived beliefs that jade their preconception or perception. For these reasons and many others, I am a firm believer in outdoor play and learning from infancy on. Not to mention that the outdoor play exposes these young beings to bacteria that help prime and build their immune systems to be tolerant. It offers them a route to natural sun exposure, which drives vitamin D production, which in turn helps the immune system to be tolerant, to be inside and outside the world via a cell called T-regulator cell. And there's a loop effect here. It exposes them to fresh air, which is important for cellular brain function. It also exposes their eyes to help them focus in the distance, which reduces myopia and the need for glasses as we age. It exposes their eyes to light. Light is incredibly important in multiple hormonal pathways of proprio-melanocortin, which is involved in cortisol, melatonin, uh, and then, you know, the lipid trafficking and so many other levels of things that are super, super important. So, nature deprivation disorder, I think it's real. Don't have direct studies to it, but a lot of associative evidence that Spending more time indoors and passive learning is definitely not enhancing our lives, but definitely could be taking away significantly from our imaginative way of thinking and our learning through nature. So for me, get dirty in the woods, take your kids outside, let them run around the yard, check out Crowder Mountain Hike and uh, track trail whenever you can go. Get your kids excited about hiking. There's little signs that say track trail. You can code yourself into a system in the computer and start building data points. My favorite hike in the state of North Carolina is the Profile Trail on the backside of Grandfather Mountain. Quite incredible. But either way, get outside. There's a lot of great places to be. So for me, let common sense rain. Get your kids outside, whether it's rainy, cold, sunny, or dry. And on that note, you know, when it's raining, that's not a reason to stay inside, right? Put on a raincoat, go outside. The sound of the rain is beautiful. I remember when my kids were young and it rained and it was on a, on a warm rainy day. We'd go outside barefoot and run up and down the street and splash in puddles. It's beautiful. It's fun. They're older now and those memories are great. Either way, something to do. Okay, section two. Inflammation and autism, developmental disorders. An article shared to me by my friend Blake Strine in the journal Science Translational Medicine has some critical data that is generally impossible to get unless a human expires, as is the case here. I want to add that I appreciate everyone that shares cutting-edge articles with me via email. Many minds make light work. From the article, quote, Inflammation early in life is clinically established risk factor for autism spectrum disorders and schizophrenia. Yet the impact of inflammation on human brain development is poorly understood. The cerebellum undergoes protracted postnatal maturation, making it especially susceptible to perturbations contributing to the risk of developmental neurodevelopmental disorders. Here, using single brain cell genomics of postmortem cerebellar brain samples, we characterize the postnatal development of cerebellar neurons and glia in one to five year old children, comparing individual comparing individuals who had died 
while experiencing inflammation to those who had died as a result of an accident. Our analysis revealed that inflammation and postnatal cerebellar maturation are associated with extensive overlapping transcriptional changes, primarily in two types of inhibitory neurons, Purkinje neurons and Golgi neurons. Immunohistochemical analysis of the subset of these postmortem cerebellar samples revealed no change to the Purkinje neuron soma size, but evidence for increased activation of microglia in those children who had experienced inflammation. Maturation-associated and inflammation-associated gene expression changes included genes implicated in neurodevelopmental disorders, a gene regulatory network model integrating cell-type-specific expression and chromatin accessibility identified seven temporally specific gene networks in Purkinje neurons and suggested that inflammation may be associated with a premature downregulation of developing gene expression programs. End quote. That came to us from Dr. Ament, A-M-E-N-T et al. in 2023 from the Science of Translational Medicine. So let's break that down. What does it really mean? In a first-of-its-kind analysis, this data tells us that inflammation is characterized by activation of inflammatory pathways in specific will affect neural developmental gene expression epigenetically, leading to phenotypic observed behavioral alterations. So that really tells us that if you are under an inflamed state while pregnant, it is highly likely that your child's genes, especially that, those related to neural development, will be epigenetically modified, i.e. the DNA is not changing, but they are being silenced or unsilenced in specific locations that actually has a net negative effect on neurodevelopment. The root causes of the inflammation are, are the keys to unwinding risk. For mothers, this is very important as discussed in the Grow Baby Project podcast. With Dr. Leslie Stone, a highly inflammatory pregnancy state will significantly increase the risk of maternal immune activation syndrome, an autoimmunity-related attack on neonates' neurophysiology. This study is concrete anatomic evidence of the data that we have been discussing for some time. I encourage you to listen to number 48 with Dr. Leslie Stone, the podcast, and the follow-up one called The Growing Brain and Autism for more on this topic. Okay, section three, recipe of the week is ground chicken burgers. They're simply lovely. Easy to make, easy, tasty dishes. So go ahead and get it. It's in the newsletter. Click the link and you'll get access to it. That's it for this week. As always, hug those kids. The information provided in this newsletter audio cast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or the healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.